follow along as I read that passage. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Father, won't you open this text up to us? Won't you open your word to us that we might understand, that we might comprehend what it is that you are teaching us in this passage, and that we might be changed to live in accordance with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen doesn't work to put a square peg in a round hole. Now, if you're like me, some of you men are saying, oh, I can make it work. If I force it hard, I can make it work any time. Probably all of you, um, maybe many of you, but maybe all of you, when you were younger had this toy. It was like a round plastic toy. I didn't know what it was called until I looked it up. It's called a shape-o toy. Do you know what that is? You have all kinds of different blocks that go into this uh, hollow uh, sphere toy. So you have 
um, a star that goes into the star hole. You have a, a circle that goes into the circle hole, a square, all kinds of different shapes that will go into the toy. And you know what? If you have a wrong shape, if you try to fit the, the square shape into the circle hole or the star shape into the circle hole, it, it doesn't really work that good. But if you force it hard enough, it will eventually go. Have you, did you find that out when you were playing with it? If you force it hard enough, it will go. But actually, if you do that enough, if you force it enough, what actually ends up happening is you ruin the shape and you ruin the toy. You end up causing the shape to be misshapen. You've ruined it. And you've ruined the shape O toy. There's a man, a philosopher named Blaise Pascal, and he says, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus. I think that's so true. And we attempt to fill our hearts with all kinds of things that we think will give us satisfaction. Lasting satisfaction in this life. We do it with relationships. We do it with careers. We do it with our, our selfish pleasures, our selfish desires, hobbies, materials, things that we get at Christmas, technological gadgets. And if we try hard enough, we'll eventually make it fit. But what we don't realize in the process is, is that we're ruining the very gift God has given us and we are ruining ourselves. We're breaking ourselves. We weren't meant for that. We were meant for God. I think that's what John is teaching in this passage. He's writing to show that Jesus is the Messiah for all people and He is the one who satisfies our souls. He's the one that gives, as we sang at Christmas, joy to every longing heart. The desire of all nations. Now remember the context of John's writing. He's writing so that we might know and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in His name we might have life. That's what he writes at the end. Why he's writing this passage. And this particular passage is pointing us to the fact that He is the satisfying Messiah. He is the one who fills our every longing. He's the one that gives rest to our longing and desire. The main point of the sermon this morning is that Jesus alone is the fount of living water. He alone is the one who gives satisfaction to our restless hearts. If you want satisfaction, if you want fulfillment in this life and in the life to come, there's no other place to go except for Jesus. If you're taking notes or if you kind of want a way to, to think through this passage, I'll, I'll give you three kind of pegs to hang your mind on, to hang your thoughts on. One is the unapproved meeting. Verses 1 through 9, we see this unapproved meeting. Verses 10 through 18, we see an unbelievable promise. And in verses 19 to 30, we see an unmistakable claim. Look at this meeting between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I say it's an unapproved meeting because this meeting shouldn't have happened. For several reasons. Really, this woman is triply wrong. She's triply different than Jesus, if I can put it that way. She is first a woman... And Jew, Jewish men especially did not associate with women, especially alone. And yet Jesus comes to this well, it seems like by chance. right? He had to go through Samarita. Samarita he's uh, thirsty, so he stops by the well, sits down, and this woman comes up. 
There Jesus is alone with this woman. Now, to show you how men did not associate with women, there was a a blessing, a morning blessing written about 2,000 years ago that was commonly said by Jewish men every morning when they woke up. This is going to sound kind of harsh to you if you've never heard it before. It says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not made me a woman. That sounds pretty shocking, doesn't it? It gives you a glimpse into how Jewish men perceived women in this day. And here Jesus is alone with a woman. It may have brought up all kinds of objections from Jewish men. You should never be alone with a woman like that. But not only is she a woman, she's a Samaritan. Samaritans were um, mixed with Jewish, Jewish and Gentile children. Offspring from Jew and Gentile. So they were considered a, a half-breed. They were considered impure. They were looked down upon by the Jewish people. Many times Jewish men, as they were traveling, would go out of their way so they didn't have to come in contact with any Samaritans at all. So there was definitely racial prejudice going on here. Uh, a looking down upon this ethnic class of the Samaritans. But there's also the idea of ceremonial uncleanliness. He's not only uh, a half-breed, but a religiously impure person. What is Jesus doing hanging out with this woman? Meeting with this woman? Meeting with this Samaritan woman? Even she acknowledges that. Why are you talking to me? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And as John notes, for Jews had no associations with Samaritans. Now, some translations actually say that, that that refers to we don't use the same dishes. And so when Jesus asks this Samaritan woman for a drink, he would have had to use her cup. He would have had to, to use her drawing utensils. And no self-respecting Jewish man would use any dish that had been used by a Samaritan. But not only was she a woman and a Samaritan, she was a sinner. Now that's revealed to us and to the readers a little bit later. But Jesus knew it all along. She was a sinner. And the people throughout Samaria knew she was a sinner. She had had five husbands and the one she was living with now wasn't her husband at all. She was an adulterer. Immoral woman. And Jesus meets with her. Now this is a visible expression of what we read earlier in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. This is a a clear display of the love of God. Love for the unlovable of this world. Love for the outcasts of society. She went at noon probably because nobody else would be there in the heat of the day. She went when nobody else would see her where she wouldn't have to see those people that she knew. Knew just how bad she was. She went to be avoided, and yet Jesus meets with her. This is the love of Jesus for those rejected by our society. For those rejected because of their sin, or ethnic class, or social status. We avoid them, but Jesus welcomes them. He meets with them. Consider, who is it in your mind that doesn't deserve the meeting 
this type of meeting with Jesus. Doesn't deserve the presence of God. Doesn't deserve forgiveness for what they've done. Who is it in your mind that is so bad they, there's no hope for them? You wouldn't, who is it in your mind you wouldn't want to associate with? That you would go out of your way to not have to deal with them? Who is it? Is it a murderer? A homosexual? Who is it that you would not want to associate with? That you don't want to meet with? And this is the very person that Jesus welcomes. He says, come and meet with me. You see, if we think that there are some whose sin is so bad we, won't, we don't want to associate with them or that Jesus wouldn't want to associate with them, we have to recognize He wouldn't associate with us either. Because we are sinful and flawed ourselves. Anything that we point in condemnation or judgment towards another, there could be many fingers pointing back at us for our sin against the Holy God. We sang, we cry, holy, holy, holy. This refers to God's purity, His righteousness, and the fact that anything, He is so pure, like the sun, that anything that comes close to Him is just incinerated by His glory. And yet Jesus, who is God in human flesh, sits here beside this sinful Samaritan woman. This is amazing. This is amazing love. This is amazing grace. And what we should recognize from this, wherever you are, Whatever sin you've committed over and over and over again, wherever you are in your life, Jesus is willing to meet with you. Sinner though you are, even though others may reject you and cast you out, Jesus is willing to meet with you. There's another application for us. Those who have met with Jesus and received His grace, His children are willing to welcome in sinners. To welcome in and love those who the world rejects. Those who the world hates. Those who the world cannot love. Those who the world tries to avoid associating with. We are Christians. The name means little Christ. And if Jesus so associated with those who were outcast from society, how much more ought we to love those who have been rejected by this world? This is an unapproved meeting, but there's something even more amazing. Something even more astounding than just the fact that he was willing to associate with this sinful Samaritan woman. He didn't just meet with her. He offered her something. He, he offered her a promise. He made a promise to her. Specifically, Jesus promises that if she drinks this water that he gives, she'll be satisfied forever. She'll never thirst again. Jesus promises her, you see that in verse 10, you should have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water. Now living water uh, is kind of a play on words, a double meaning. Living water means something like a stream that's flowing. This would be fresher water than that which comes from a well. But it's more than, he's, he's not just talking about physical water. Look in verse 13. Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. What Jesus is saying here, what, what the water represents here is true life. They needed water to live and it was scarce. 
But what living water in the spiritual sense refers to is the fullness of God dwelling within men. We had already seen that Jesus said that He is the temple. He's also the living water. He is the one who has come down to tabernacle among us, to dwell among men. And Jesus is promising here that anyone who comes to Him, Jesus, has the Spirit of God Himself without measure. And He is willing to give that Spirit to any who come to Him. The Spirit of God dwelling in sinful man. This is the promise that He is making. What she needs more than anything else is God living in her. A change of heart. We talked about the new birth in John chapter 3. This is what she needs. The Spirit of the living God. This is the passage we saw in Jeremiah chapter 2. Pointed out, we have forsaken Him, the Lord, God, the fount of living water. We have hewn out cisterns for ourselves. Ones that can't hold any water at all. What Jeremiah is pointing out there, what the Lord is pointing out there, is that we were made for God, and yet we substitute other things for Him. We try to satisfy our hearts with other things, the things of this world. And look at verse 16. He says, go call your husband and come back. And it it may look that, like Jesus is changing subjects here. Like, why did He go from this living water to go call your husband and come back? What Jesus is actually doing here is exposing the idols of this woman's heart. He's exposing what it is she has been thirsting after. She had had five husbands, and the one that she was with now was not her husband. She had been seeking satisfaction in relationships, in a, in a man, in one who would fulfill her joy, in one who would give her satisfaction and fulfillment, and over and over again, it failed her. It failed her. Jesus The light of the world exposes our idols. And this is what He's doing for this woman. What is it that you are seeking after? What is the idol of your heart? What is it that you are trying to cram into your heart and try to make it fit? To try to give you lasting satisfaction and joy? It won't work. You'll only end up destroying it, the gift that God has given, and yourself. As Jeremiah said, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. You're making that thing or that person bear a weight that it was never meant to bear. That it can never, ever bear. I saw a video not long ago of this car had fallen into like a lake or a stream of water or something. So they brought in this big truck with a big, tall uh, suspension on it. And it dropped down and grabbed hold of the car and started pulling it out. And you know what happened? It fell over into the water. So they brought in another big truck to pull the other truck out, and it did the same thing, fell in the water. They did this three times, and the truck was never able to to bear the weight that they were putting on it. And this is what happens when we try to force others to bear this weight of providing for us longing satisfaction. When you, as a husband, place on your spouse that she is going to satisfy your every longing, You're putting a weight on her that she could never bear, that she could never hold up under. And what it will end up doing is destroying her and destroying you and destroying your marriage. It happens with every single thing that we try to invest our satisfaction in. It doesn't work. 
It ends up destroying the gift and us. But Jesus not only makes an unbelievable promise to her, He makes an unbelievable promise to everyone. If you come to Him for this living water, if anyone drinks the water He gives, He will be satisfied forever. This is, I say it's unbelievable because, not because we shouldn't believe it, but because it seems too good to be true. Never be thirsty again. Never be uh, lacking again. Have complete satisfaction for the rest of our lives in this life and in the life to come. It does seem unbelievable, doesn't it? This is what we need. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what we need. The Spirit of God dwelling in us. God's presence coming to us. But then Jesus makes the biggest claim of all. And it's an unmistakable claim. A claim that He is the one that she should come to. She tries to change the subject too because He says, yeah, uh, You've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now is not your husband? And look at what she says. Uh, I have no husband. He repeats that to her. And then she tries to turn it into a theological argument in verse 19. I see you're a prophet. We worship, we Samaritans worship on this mountain. You Jews worship on this mountain. You ever get in a situation where you're uncomfortable because the, the conversation has gotten too personal? You try to steer the conversation away to something else. This is what she's doing. Uh, Jesus, you're hitting too close to home here. Why are you getting all up into my, my business, my details? I just met you. But Jesus is exposing the idols of her heart. Now Jesus responds to her question. We Jews worship according to what we know. Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. But, but all that's changing. All of that is changing. He Himself is the temple. He Himself is the place where everyone will come to worship. And those who will worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And what this means is that we are to worship Him according to His Holy Spirit. According to what the Spirit reveals to us in Scripture. This isn't speaking to enthusiasm or excitement that we must worship Him in spirit. It means that we must come through Jesus being indwelt by the Spirit, that is the only acceptable worship to God. And in truth, we must worship Him according to how He has told us to worship. And with genuine, heartfelt emotion, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. She tries to change the subject, but Jesus turns it back to telling her, I am the Messiah. He says, when the Messiah comes, He'll teach us all about this. Jesus says, I am Him. I'm the one all the Jews have been waiting for. I'm the one all of the God-fearing Samaritans have been waiting for. I am the Messiah. Jesus claims that He is the Messiah and that He is the fount of living water. Not just that God, Yahweh, is, but that He is Yahweh in human flesh. That He is the one who quenches spiritual thirst. He's the one who has... The Spirit, without measure, and is willing to give it to anyone and everyone who comes to Him. Now notice what He says. That the Father is seeking such worshipers. The Father is seeking such worshipers. See, God, in His love, sent His Son on a mission. God is seeking worshipers for Himself. That, that is amazing to see 
God's missionary heart. This is the reason Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. To gather for His Father worshipers who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now thinking of this mission reminds me of another time when Jesus was thirsty. Do you remember a time when Jesus said, I'm thirsty? Turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. This is when Jesus was hanging on the cross for sinners. This is why Jesus came. This is why He came to sacrifice Himself for sinners like you and me, like the Samaritan woman, like the homosexual, like the murderer, like anyone who has ever sinned. That's everyone. This is why Jesus came for sinners. John 19.28 says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when He had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. What is finished? There is Jesus hung thirsty on the cross. What is finished? The payment for our salvation. The payment for our sins. It is finished. Do you realize what this means for you? All of your striving to be good enough for God, all of your striving of good works, has already been accomplished by Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who died as a substitute for sinners like you and me, and who rose from the dead. It is finished. He has brought us into the very presence of God by His death. Jesus became thirsty so that we might be satisfied with water dripping down our chin. Satisfied. Jesus became thirsty. His throat became dry so that we would be filled with His Spirit. So that our hearts would be filled with satisfaction at who He is for us. When Jesus hung on the cross, He went without the presence of God. Why have you forsaken me, God? So that we could be assured of God's presence always through Christ. Now, the Samaritan woman took Jesus up on His promise. She believed. She received it. How do we know this? We see it, one, and we see it in verse 39, as we'll see next week. Many Samaritans came to believe in Jesus because of her words and because they heard Him. But look at verses 28 and 29. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. Leaving her water jar. She came there for water. Why did she leave it? She didn't need it anymore. She was satisfied with who Jesus was for her. She received the fount of living water. This is a joy that makes you forgetful. A joy that makes you forget about everything else. A satisfaction that makes you forget about everything else in this world. That Mike could give you satisfaction. And look at what she says in verse 29. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? Look at that question. Can this be the Messiah? This is the kind of question you ask when it just all seems too good to be true. 
This is the kind of question a man asks if he wins the lottery. Could this be true? Could my luck have finally come? And the Samaritan woman, having received the gift of God, says, could this be the Messiah? Could it really be Him? Could all of my satisfaction be fulfilled in Him? Could it be, could it be Him all along? Everything I've been longing for, everything I've been wanting and desiring, everything that would satisfy my heart, could it be true? And the answer is, it is true. Everything you've ever really wanted, everything you've ever really needed, is found here in the person and work of Jesus Christ our Savior. It's true. Bank on it. Go to Him and find your satisfaction. Something that will make every other thing in this world pale in comparison.